0: So the Garden of Gethsemane is spoken about in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in different forms and different various, and and I'm going to read two of the passages, um, the one from Matthew and the one from Luke, um, and I'm just going to read them straight out of the Bible here, and then we'll um, we'll start kind of breaking down some of the things that the Lord revealed to me, but I always think it's good since we're talking about an actual story and not just a concept or things like that, that we actually read the words. So Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." rise let us go because here comes my betrayer Luke 22:39 to 46 Jesus went out as usual to the mount of olives and his disciples followed him on reaching the place he said to them pray that you will not fall into temptation he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and he prayed father if you are willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done They're different because they were written for different audiences and different people, and just Luke had different ways about him than Matthew, and part of it was that. So I encourage you, when you're reading the Gospels especially, read all four. Take a story like this one and read each version of it because they each give you a little different nuance and a little different thing. It's not that they're different stories; they're not. They're different perspectives of the same story, and they bring a whole about. And I know for me that both of these stories, um, both of these versions, brought different pieces to it that we're going to talk about. So the first thing that um, that struck me really about this is, I think for me, this reading through this story and studying it, and this may s- this it's funny because this kind of contradicts a lot of like. I listen to all kinds of sermons and podcasts and read things and stuff, and it's all about the deity, and I am not undermining the deity of Jesus at all as I say this, but the humanity of Jesus came through to me so deeply in this story and in such a way, because I think I have a tendency to put Jesus on this perfect pedestal, okay, because he was perfect and he didn't sin. But with that, then I can disconnect myself and the things that i struggle with and go through at times and not always reach him <laughs> okay and i felt like f- when i was studying this this season in the in the garden okay this season in Gethsemane which i know was one evening but it was for me it was a season right this season is i feel like the lord just revealed just how much jesus was like us and yet different than us and yet also we're supposed to aim to be like him. The things that he went through in that garden, the perseverance that he shows as he goes through this um, is how we're supposed to model and get through our perseverance in our life. That's our surrender and things. So let me backtrack and give you a little bit more of where I see the the humanity of Jesus. So he had been at the party, right? (laughs) The Last Supper which wasn't necessarily a joyous occasion, but it was, you know, it was Passover. They were coming, and he was telling them, this is what's coming. This is what's happening. And and then he went off, as it was his um, habit, he went off to pray. And, uh, and it's interesting, because he kept the Last Supper where they had that. That was kept secret. That was not widely known. That was just his group, okay? So it wasn't like everything but then he turned around and he went to a very public, not public place, but a very um, habitual place, a place where he was in the habit of going. So oftentimes in the evenings, they would go to this garden and pray. And we know that from the scripture because they went to this place. You know, it says, like, he would go, just like they go to the Mount Olive, they would go to this, and it was a known place, okay? And that's interesting because, you know, that's how they knew where to find him at the end of the story betrayer because he w- was in the habit of going there. He didn't hide from what was coming. Um, what I find, again, where I just felt such a connection with him is he had a desire to bring people with him, right? Here he's facing the most treacherous, agonizing thing. I mean, he's facing the cross. It's coming. It is not in the distance. It is coming. It is coming now. And he's going to strengthen. He's going to pray. First, he's seeking the Father because he's going to go pray for the strength to get through this. Okay, But he brings his friends along. And I thought, wow, our God, we're made in the image of God, and God needs relationship. God desires relationship. He doesn't need us, but he desires us. He desires relationship. And I thought, how often do I go on my own? How often do I not even think twice about my friends when I'm in stress or agony or things, and I don't bring them with me, okay? And I don't ask them to come. And so that struck me that he brought, not just disciples, but his three closest friends. I know they're disciples, but they were his friends too. These were his personal. And I think it was also because he was concerned for them he was trying to show them, I'm coming to pray. You should be praying too. Now, one thing to note here is he separated and went off to the Father alone, and he dealt with what was coming and with his thing on his own with the Father directly. And he didn't call a prayer meeting, and he didn't sit around and have them gather and pray with him or for him. He didn't ask them to pray for the cup to pass. Okay, okay he told them to pray so that they would not be tempted. So he was encouraging them to be part of this prayer, but for their own sakes, not for his. And I think we need to remember that too sometimes. There are things where we need to go to the Father, and it's between us and the Father. The Father is the one who is going to strengthen us. We don't get our strength from gathering the troops, okay? Now, again, I'm not saying to not have people pray for you. I don't mean that. But there is a strength that only comes from persevering in prayer with the Lord, especially when you are dealing with the hardest things in life and dealing with things of surrender to his will. That's between you and God. pastor can't surrender for you. Lita can't surrender for you. Donna can't surrender for you. Your best friend, your husband, can't surrender for you. So there are things you have to go and deal with the Lord and things, okay? All right. So it says in here that he starts it off by saying, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That is strong. In Luke, it says he was bleeding, he's, um, he was sweating blood. That's an actual phenomenon. It doesn't happen very, very often, and it doesn't happen quite as extreme as what is described in Luke, where it was thick drops of blood. But when you see this happen um, in, in other people when it's happened, it has been because of extreme stress, like they're facing execution. Okay? It's been known to happen. And I thought, wow. Wow. A lot of people think maybe that's a metaphor. No, I, he, he sweat blood. He was so stressed. He was on the point of death. Luke mentions an angel that comes and strengthens him. He was on the point of death. I think if that angel hadn't come, might have ended right there. But of course, that wasn't God's plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he, he had an angel that came and strengthened him to get him through the next piece. And he continued praying. He persevered. Again, he instructed the disciples three times to be praying, or a couple times to be praying as he was going on, and he continued to go and pray these things. Jesus prayed and persevered, and he made it through to the Father's will. The disciples didn't, right? They fell asleep. Their sorrow overcame them. Luke says it was their sorrow that caused them to sleep. If you ever wanted to check out, that's so relatable, right? It's because the dawning of what was coming was there. Another thing that I found that was interesting, it was talking about what temptation was he cautioning them about? Was he just cautioning them about temptation in general or something specific? And though I think we can apply this to temptation in general, okay, okay, I think that night it was about temptation that they were going to be facing. He had already basically told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Okay. Why do you think that is? It's because they still wanted their conquering king. He's trying to tell them that's not how this is going to go down. And he's willing to do the will of the Father. He's surrendering to the will of the Father, but they're struggling with surrendering to the will of Father. And that's the temptation, I believe, that he was telling them. Be praying, be praying. And that story might have been a little different if they had prayed, if they had persevered in prayer and been able to resist the temptation. And so that's a caution to us. Persevere and pray so that we can go through and follow God's will for our lives and not follow God's will when it lines up with our own. See, they were having a hard time giving their Lord over to this, to the f- to the cross. They were having a hard time with that. Not that I blame them. <laughs> okay. So, the other things to think about when you think about Gethsemane and this, um, and again, him telling them that that prayer and his example of persevering in prayer is these are the last words he spoke to them. These are the last instructions that he gave to those men. How important is that? You know, think about that. Final words. When someone knows they're going You know, they're leaving, even whether it's passing or whether you're just leaving, like, and you give those words of wisdom, you pass the mantle, you give those things. Okay, that's how important these words were, these instructions to them. So, the other thing where this really, really struck me and just hit me in a different way is um, the emotion that Jesus goes through in the garden. Again, I think for me, it's just really easy um, to just kind of read these stories, or read the things in the Bible, and to not fully digest them, and to not really dissect them <laughs> and think about things. And um, we see emotion from Jesus at certain points, but this is the first time we see real agony, we see anxiety. These are the things we don't like associate with Jesus and yet we struggle with them on our our own at times. I think this is one of those areas where when I'm dealing with something where I'm feeling anxious or dreading something or fearful about something these are the hard these are the times when it's hard for me to relate to Jesus. Okay, but yet I look at the garden and he was in agony to the point of death of what he was facing. So then I started thinking, well, what was this about? Was this just about the cross and the pain that he was going to endure and the physical thing? Like, what exactly, what is it that is driving him to this point of being in that big of distress to be sweating blood? And on his face, I mean, wow. Wow. again, it's overwhelming to think that our Savior, the Lord, this man, doing miracles and stuff, and yet he is on his face seeking the Father. On his face saying, Lord, 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 Lord. And it really made me think about what that weight of sin, right? He took on the weight of sin. He took on the world's sin, and what does that really, really mean? You know, sin is such an interesting concept and word, and, and it can mean so many things. And again, I think it's something I can put in a box and put over here and think about things like murder and adultery, and I can put all these big things, but really sin is the things that separate us from him. It can be a lot of different things. Certainly things like murder <laughs> and adultery you know, bring shame and separation and different things. But there are other sin in our lives and it really made me personally dive in and think about the things that keep me from him. That keep me from him. And then I thought, why am I not grieved enough when I'm separated from him? Jesus is grieved because from the moment of conception, he's had the Father with him. You see, he wasn't born with sin like we are. Okay, So he had the closeness of the Father from birth. And he grew up knowing the Lord was with him through all of the things that he's been through until now. Until now. Now, as he's facing the end, the weight of things are coming on. And with that, God... It is pulling away and separating and it's taking a lot for Jesus. This is why he's grieved and overwhelmed to surrender and say, oh, "I'm here." It's spiritually difficult the weight of this. That recognition that he's going to be completely separate from God when he on the cross. There's that moment, complete separation. He's only ever known the love of the Father just completely there. And I thought, wow. Wow, I don't know, that just, it. the Lord made this so profound for me while I was studying this. I'm not grieved enough when I'm separated from the Lord. I'm not grieved enough when I let the busyness and the sinful things that I deal with, that I struggle with, that I have to rebuke and repent from. I'm not grieved nearly enough. I look at the example of Jesus in this and the agony that he felt at the prospect as this was going on and he was starting to feel the separation. And I think, wow, I need to reevaluate my viewpoint. (laughs) I need to reevaluate where my heart is. Lord, I don't want to be separate from you. Whatever that looks like. And I have to say, I feel like because of that, and asking the Lord for his will through this study, I feel like there's a closer. Is it perfect? Like, no. But I have to say, I have a different prayer now. Lord, I want to be grieved. I want to be grieved when I am doing things that are separating myself from you. I want to wreck I want a sensitivity. I want to recognize it. I don't want to be complacent to being separate from you. I want your will in my life. Help me to not slumber. Help me to not check out in my sorrow. Help me not be depressed and go to sleep and ignore the things going on in my life. So, I just want to clarify here. At no point was Jesus not going to go to the cross. So, as he's asking the Lord, Lord, is there a way? Do you have another way? He wasn't trying to back out of what's happening here. Okay? that, That was never a part of it. He was seeking clarity. You have to remember Jesus was deity absolutely, but you know, at five years old, he did not have a vision of the cross, right, (laughs) okay? He wouldn't have been able to live looking that far ahead, okay? The Lord God, the Father, revealed things as he needed. So this was his time as all of this stuff is coming down, and he's going, Lord, is there a way? Is there a way? Do you have another plan? Is there a plan B? But at no point was he saying I won't follow through or I don't want it. He was just looking for clarity. I also think this was very poignant to point out that there was no other way. What was brought to mind was Old Testament. Is it Abraham that took his son up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And think about it. He took his son up to sacrifice, and God made a way. He he brought him in exchange, and he didn't have to sacrifice his son. Don't you think if there was another way that God would have saved his own? Don't you think this was heartbreaking for the Father? I mean, at no point can we think this was easy on anybody involved. This wasn't easy on Jesus, and this wasn't easy on the Father. But it was necessary. It was necessary to save us, to reconcile us, He had to be as a sinless, pure offering. It was the only way. And he had said it in his ministry, I am the way, the truth, life. Got to come through me. I mean, that was said. So it's not like he didn't know it when he was asking. But again, we're in the final hour. Lord, if there's another way. And the first time he asks it, like, if there's any other way. But the second time he asks it, if there's no other way or since there's no other way. If there's no other way, your will be done, and I'm going willingly. Okay, So again, he wasn't looking for an escape. He wasn't looking for a way out. He was seeking clarity. He was seeking clarity. Okay. I feel like I could go on for an hour. (laughs) Um, But I also want to encourage everyone here, if, if even a piece of this struck a chord with you, I encourage you to study this. It, you know, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we live in such a time of technology that can be so awesome and great. Um, if you go on to podcasts and type in Gethsemane, you'll find a four or five sermons. By the way, if you've never listened to Spurgeon's I found podcasts where somebody does his messages, and when is he from? Like eighteen hundreds or something? Sixteen, sixteen? I was thinking sixteen hundred. But anyways, they're a few hundred years old. Okay, but so relevant. So relevant and like it's amazing. If I- the language is a little old, but if it was, you know, more and it's someone reading it, so um, which for me, I think I found that verbal is good. I mean, I like to read too. I'm a reader, but listening to the words and listening to these things, same thing. I listened to um, just the audio. You know, I have the Bible app, and can you can do the audio ones? I listened to a couple different versions and did the different, again. Each, each of the different Gospels, and then I listened to a couple different translations and things, and just said, God, reveal nuggets and nuances to me. And I listened to a couple sermons, and I downloaded a couple different commentaries and things. And I'm not saying you all need to study it on that level, but I encourage you, especially, I'm not a huge Bible studier, okay? It's just never been... Um, I mean, if I'm taking a class, if I'm preparing a message and things, but I'm not one that is that great, especially about just opening my Bible and, and figuring it out, okay? I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not always great about reading, just um, and getting it and understanding it and finding a lot of depth and nuance. So I found when I'm studying the Bible, if I can listen to a message about it and then go back and then pray and say, Lord, what did you have for me? Because I tell you, what he revealed to me while I was listening to some of these things, while I was praying about this, and while I was going into th- to these words, it like opened it up. Because the first time I read it, I'm like, oh, well, there's only like six verses there. What am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do with this? And what do you have for me, Lord? And he would hit that. And then i listened to a message, and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. So I'd start praying on it. And then what he brought to me, my pers- the personal revelation that I've shared with you today, um, you know, those w- little bits were deep and just him saying, wow, like I said, those personal revelations about sin for me <laughs> and things. You know, that wasn't Spurgeon telling me like I've got sin in my life, okay? That was the Lord saying, hey, look at this in this way. So I want to encourage you to, whether it's this topic or another, read some of these things on your own and listen on your own. See what God has for you in this message, too. So again, I just want to say that, um, you know, as everything with Jesus' life, he's modeling things for us, okay? Everything that we, as we watch, he's modeling different things. And again, what he's modeling here for us is he's facing, I mean, absolute worst case scenario is coming up. You know, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be drug through the streets, falsely accused, a mob is going to say, take him instead of the murderer, <laughs> you know, take him. And they're going to beat him and make fun of him and take him to the cross. I mean, I, I can't even imagine crucifixion, right? Okay, these are just things we can't even, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but it's so far removed from the things that I've dealt with in my life, it's, it's unimaginable. Um, what he had to go through, and yet he handled it with dignity and grace. If you notice, when they came to arrest him, did he resist and fight? No, because he knew it was the Father's will. Right? Again, Peter lopped off the ear (laughs) because he still is in the flesh of like, I don't want to accept that my Savior is going this route. I want the conquering king. I want the hero. That's that's who I've been expecting to be the messiah is the conquering king. I know that Jesus is the conquer- is the is the messiah, but I still want him to look this way. Okay. But Jesus on the other hand said, "Nope. They're here for me." You know, "Who are you here for?" "Yeah, that's me. No, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to lie to you and I'm not going to try and evade you. I'm right here where you could find me. Come on. Come on, Judas. What are you here for?" Right? And then he went and basically he just took it. He didn't defend it. He didn't do anything because this was the Father's will. He knew this had to happen. He knew this had to happen. The one thing, as he talks about the cup passing and why that was, and again, that's just that so poignant of what exactly was that. It talks about the cup in the Old and the New Testament, the cup of wrath. see if I can find that in um, yeah there's a passage in revelations here we go revelations 14 9 through 11 and another angel a third one followed them saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And if there's Old Testament references to the cup and the wrath. And again, it's the wrath. That's that separation from the Lord. That is what it's going to be. That's what we deserve, right? As being sinners that are separated. If we didn't have Jesus to atone for us, that's what we would be facing. That's what that's what we would be facing. That's what Jesus was facing. That's what he agonized over, separation from the Lord, the cup of the wrath, the anger of his father that he had never known. That he had never known. But again, he models for us prayer. God. Not my will, but your will, but your will. And the Lord followed through. An angel came and strengthened him. He was carried through and he died on that cross with dignity. (laughs) He handled it. There was no denouncing, there was no, never mind, I'm done. I don't want to do this. There was none of that. So for us, and even though his disciples in that in the garden did not pray and face it, we know that when he was resurrected, they were restored, right? And I bet that they learned <laughs> to pray through it all. <laughs> I bet that they learned how to resist temptation. We know that because we know what comes after. We know Acts. We know how the church was formed. We know all of those things. So that's where we're at today. We need to pray through everything. We need to stay in fellowship, too. We need close friends. Not just close friends, but close friends who are like-minded. Close friends who know the Father. It's great to have a big circle of friends, right? Jesus always had tons of people around, and then he had the 12, but he had a smaller group too. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have close friends, pray, Lord, what's your will? Who do you have for me? Or if your close friends don't know God, aren't walking that life, Lord, is this who should be my best friend? Is this who is going to help carry me through? Is this who's going to tell me pray through the temptation? Right? Sometimes our friends are not there to pray for us. Sometimes they're there to give us a word and say, you need to pray. You need to be on the face. Those are the kind of friends that we need. We need a friend like Jesus who's going to come and tell us, you need to pray through that temptation. You need to seek the father that's what jesus was telling them as his friend he was their savior certainly but he was their friend that's what i saw in the garden about with those men his heart grieved for them he knew what was going to happen but he wanted so much more for them i think he was rooting for them can they just can they just do this come on for an hour you guys for an hour can you just do th- do this and get through it and not have to go through the trial. I think he worried more for them (laughs) and what they were going to face than what he was dealing with. So I want to encourage you. Seek the Father in all things. Be ready to surrender to his will, whatever that looks like. And we can only know that if we go in prayer and we ask him. Remember, Jesus kept asked three times until he had that full clarity and was ready to to go until it was time to go. I need that full clarity, Lord. I'm seeking you. I am seeking you, whatever you have, whatever your will is. And be willing. If you have friends in your life and the Lord is prompting you to speak into them, you know, if you know it's the Lord, encourage them. I think the Lord has something for you. Pray. Go seek the Lord on that. Have wisdom. You know, it's not things like pray, Dory, I know you're going to move to New Jersey next week. No, it's not things like that. It's you know, or (laughs) I was trying to think what I was going to say. You know, it's not uh, you know, it's not calling out somebody and saying you know you're getting married next week. Things like that, right? It's not those kind of things. But if you feel like there's something that they've got, you know, encourage them. Seek seek the Father. I think the Father has something for you. Go seek the Father. Be that kind of friend. Be that kind of friend. Put those kind of friends around you. The ones who are going to tell you, go seek the Father. You, there's something. I'll be praying for you, but you go seek the Father. You go seek the Father. And I think that's all I'm going to say tonight. That's what I've got. So thank you for letting me share.